Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. Last week, I told you about a supersized episode with Rick Lax, and here it is. I visited Rick Lax at his home in Las Vegas, Nevada, to talk about Facebook, Instagram, and performing magic on the internet. Before long, we were joined by Justin Flom, and the topic of conversation quickly turned to Wizard Wars and some awesome behind-the-scenes stories. Nick Lacapo joins me in studio for a discussion of the Reynolds Alexander effect, High Rise. But first, I've got a surprise for you kids. Fresh off starting his new magic company, Studio 52, and beginning his brand new podcast, The M Word, I caught up with Ben Earl for our segment, Desert Island Magic Books. Ben Earl, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. I'm very excited because I've been trying to get you on the show for a while, but let's say you wash up on a desert island with only one magic book, and we'll assume it's made of Tyvek or plastic, so you can read it over and over mm-hmm. again, and uh, and it won't disintegrate. <laughs> what is What is your Desert Island Magic Book? Oh gosh, that's a it's a real difficult difficult one because there, there's the, there's the uh, there's the magic kind of answer and then there's the practical answer. The, uh, I think the well, practical I, I, answer is always <laughs> casino gaming protection because it's big enough to kill small animals with. But exactly, <laughs> or or fuel right to start fires with, right? I mean, it's one of those things. Or you could go down the route of Tarbell. If you took the complete course of Tarbell, right? There's a number of things you could do with that. First of all, there's probably a method in there to create a life raft. One hundred percent. There's also probably there's definitely a method in there to to catch a monkey, mm-hmm. you know, or something like. At least at least if you didn't eat it, you could train it to watch your magic. Um, and uh, probably also high enough. You could stack it high enough that if you decided to end it all, you could create a high enough stack that when you get the noose, <laughs> you could then wobble it free to die. Uh, I mean, it's you know, I think that. All the complete, and I haven't read them all either, so it would make sense to, to kind of take those. I, mean, um, I, I think Dan Harlan's the only one who's actually read them all. But let's go with your magic answer. <laughs> what is what is the magic the, answer? Uh, I have a I have a strange one, really. Um, I think that for me, there's a, a book called Card Control by Arthur Buckley um, oh. that I read growing up, and I always found it really difficult to read. I think really that- impenetrable. This has been on my list of like things I'd like to add to my library, so I haven't read it. Mm. But it was—it's really difficult to read. Why did? Why does that attract Just, you? Well, I think because it, it feels like I have to work to get the information out of it, and I I always feel that it came from a time where they weren't describing every single nuance and every single finger movement. It was just they would give rough ideas, and you had to work to get the information out. I'm not necessarily saying that was the intention. But some of the older books are very difficult to pull information out of. And I always felt that if I could watch him do some of the stuff live, I bet it was amazing. Now, it might not have been. It might have been terrible. But in my head, the moves and all the things that are in there look insanely beautiful. And so I always found it really difficult to unpick and unpack. And so I'd probably take something like that um, for that reason. I also kind of liked the the, the really bad photography in it. Um, it's kind of just... <laughs> Is it, is, is it bad because it's like low quality and just like hard to see or is it just like really poorly framed with like tripods in the background and he's like got a cup of coffee next to him that doesn't need to be there what kind of so no i would like that I, I would like that type of bag photography because that so shows someone that has just got such an oblivious idea of how to take an image or they're, or they're so chilled out 
that I, I would get something from that. No, unfortunately, it's the type of bag photography that's just really low quality, oh. to too much uh, contrast. And so you have to kind of really work. I know it's a, I'm like a masochist, I think, for, mm. for information, but I like it when I have to work to, to, to get stuff. Um, so may, maybe Arthur Butley car control be extremely high on that list if I had one. Um, the only other thing I'd probably take, and this this is um, goes again back to my childhood, would be the uh, Hugard's uh, carbon, more uh, car manipulations. Uh, okay. And they, were, they, were, they were bound into a collective book. And I found them a combination of kind of inspiring and accessible. And also, again, they, they, they had a lot of information in there that I couldn't, uh, or techniques that I couldn't do. I, um, I think it's interesting that you're picking both books that are very impenetrable. I, I know that reading Hugard's mm. work is is super, like, when people, I hear people say all the time, like, oh, read Royal Road to Card Magic. Well, if no. you're under the age of 35, Royal Road to Card Magic is almost impossible to read. I'm so glad that you say that. You know, I've said that for a long time when people talk about like a great beginner's book. I'm like, come on, this is, it's a really difficult thing to read. It assumes so much of you. I think people go back and read Royal Road. They don't start off with it. They go back and read it. Mm -hmm. And when they do, you bring to that a lot of existing knowledge. And so you can understand it a bit more. But to start with it is very difficult. I mean, look, to be honest, I probably should say, the book I really should say is Expert Card Technique because that is the book that got me into magic. And it's the book that... Um, uh, was instrumental in kind of making me approach sleight of hand in the way that I do. Uh, but that, again, has exactly the same issues. I mean, it is festooned with really difficult things, but it also has stories. It has, it has you, you introduces you to, like, Paul Rossini and Charlie Miller and these other mm -hmm. people, and you, you have this sense of this other world of magicians that exist. Um, but it's very difficult to unpack and and get the information out of so that's uh I, oh man arthur butley card control card manipulations or expert card technique oh i don't know i would have to i'd have to flip a three-sided coin to pick one um you know what i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna change I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with 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 expert card technique that's what i would take it's that i uh, that's what i'll do expert I, card technique uh, you know. I, okay the the last question i have for you then uh the first edition that uh rips off vernon and doesn't credit him or the third edition that finally go that goes back and says oh by the way this is here where all this stuff came from oh definitely the one that doesn't credit him because <laughs> then then i could be reading that the entire time and i'd be like i've got something to vent at right you know if you if you're on an island like that you need to feel something to feel alive you know, especially if there's nothing else around. So yeah, I'd definitely take the one that doesn't credit him. So I could, you know, I could at least feel like I know more than anyone else does on that island. Well, thanks so much for joining me here on Desert Island Magic Books. That That is, a, I think that is probably a, the, the most fantastic response. Something to learn and vent at. That's fantastic. <laughs> thanks, Ben. No worries. Big thanks to Ben Earl for that quick discussion. As a heads up, in a few weeks, Ben joins me for a more expansive conversation on Magic Studio 52, his books The Shift, and more about his podcast The M Word, which everyone should check out. Now on to the main event. Rick Lax is currently one of the biggest names in social media magic. His show, Rick Lax Has Friends, has more than 10 million followers on Facebook. His recent energy drink hacks you've never seen video has at the time of this recording more than 197 million views. Rick's videos regularly go viral to the point that friends of mine who are not magicians send me the links. He has also created monster hits in magic like his collaboration with Justin Flom, Tornado, and Binary Code, which he performed on Penn & Teller Fool Us. 
as a heads up to our listeners, I did not have my full complement of gear with me, so a couple of times we are handing around mics and the audio quality gets a little shaky for our usual standards, but this is still well worth the listen. This interview is also very special because we did it in Rick's dining room in Las Vegas, and we were quickly joined by Justin Flom, and now you get to join our conversation. Rick Lax, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast in your house, which has an astonishing view of Las Vegas. This is really, really something else. This is where a lot of the Rick Lax on Facebook, the the, the Rick Lax show on Facebook is filmed, isn't it? Yes. Many great magicians have uh, come through here, filmed here, just mm-hmm. in the kitchen right over there. I wanted to talk to you because you are sort of at the forefront of what's going on with Facebook and Instagram and uh, TikTok a little bit with with magic these days. And you're creating magic for people and with people and these episodes and producing a lot of episodes. How do you, I guess, how did that start and where are you going with it now? Let's start with you saying uh, I'm creating magic for people. I believe that that is the case, and I was doing it in a way that other people were not. When I first started my Facebook page, like everyone else who was trying to put magic online at the time, Mm -hmm. I said, all right, I'm going to do street magic. So I go out there, and I would do magic for random people, Mm -hmm. and everyone on Facebook would just say, that's fake. That's fake. It's either they're actors Mm -hmm. or this is planned. So then I tried magic that was without other people, magic that was uh, straight to the camera, visual Mm -hmm. magic. Mm -hmm. And everyone said, well, those are camera tricks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only when I did uh, interactive magic directly, I was performing magic for the Facebook user. That's when things started to blow up. And so I I focused all my time on the genre of interactive magic because I realized no one else was really performing magic for the Facebook users. They were performing it for other people and displaying it on Facebook. But many people watching these um, videos, they've never really had a magic trick done for them in the past. It was always done for other people and shown to them. It seems like the paradigm shift there is that you're changing who the audience the magic is for. Mm-hmm. Which is which is kind of interesting because you're not doing because as you're saying the the visual magic when someone looks at it and says it's a camera trick, that's not magic you're performing for the Facebook user because mm-hmm. the and audience is not the, the the Facebook user there in that type of magic. How do you start to create a trick where the the person it's for is on the other end of a computer screen thousands of screen thousands of miles away? You have to think about things very differently, and most magicians cannot conceive of this line of thought. We see that still when people will get uh, upset with, we'll say, uh, some of my friends Mm -hmm. for doing techniques that are very common uh, in all of magic, but especially important when you're performing magic on social media. Mm -hmm. So this might be uh, instant stooging someone, stooging someone. We we get comments like, oh, you're not really performing a magic trick for this person. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, of course not. No kidding. We're performing (laughs) magic for millions of people. But yes, the one person who is Mm -hmm. there with us, maybe in this particular shot, absolutely they are helping us out. And what's happening there is we're magicians. So we're pretending and we're doing a lie to entertain people by tricking them. And these magicians can't get this past their head. They say, you're not really uh, performing. You're not crazy. They're not six. Everyone knows this isn't real magic. We're just trying to create some entertainment here. That's that's my position. But there's a, a lot of 
magicians who uh, spend a lot of time online and they just have decided we're not uh, magicians because I've watched this. I mean, you just showed me a quick video that you posted a few days ago that was that looked like real magic to me, and it, it was an interesting premise. It's uh, I, we can talk about this because it's already up online. It's the this battery video where yeah. you're like mixing real facts with also magic tricks. Yes, lately I've been doing uh, these videos. Uh, I guess we could call them magic hacks yeah. where they look and they feel like videos that would come from five minute crafts or uh, blossom. These are two of Facebook's yeah. biggest pages where they look uh, instructional, but uh, instead of merely surprising things happening, incredible, amazing things are happening. Yeah. And that's because I'm mixing in magic with uh, real real life hacks i didn't know what to expect when you showed me that video and i i come from this knowing that you're a magician and then i'm looking at it and going oh i didn't know that if you put a battery and vinegar in a cup it would make it so and i actually have experience with that particular prop and it totally took me in it was it's a really interesting premise yeah even if you know that uh prop which i got from sayo magic yeah uh or seo magic however it said mm-hmm. I, i'll say i did work hard in the shot to kind of disguise that which mm-hmm. is that that cup starts out in the shot uh right from the very start and i don't reveal that anything is tricky about it until mm-hmm. the very end uh of the shot <laughs> yeah i've um i've done uh, my friend justin flom is coming over here in yeah. a bit i remember i got him with something uh, similar the trick was a dove pan now mm-hmm. we all can spot a dove pan a mile away <laughs> But there was one shot that uh, this was a video I did without him. I was just with Ellie. Yeah. And uh, it was food related, kitchen related. Mm-hmm. And I had a dove pan sitting on my stove for a long shot. And you can see it the whole time. And only the last couple seconds of the shot do I do a thing with the dove pan. I think I turned spinach into cheeseburgers. Mm-hmm. And Justin was watching it. He was like, ah, you got me. It was right there in, in full view. I'm familiar with it, of course. But I didn't see that it was a dove pan. I think taking any magician in with a dove pan should be considered a personal triumph. That's right. Way absolutely. above everything else. Absolutely. We can uh, make fun of uh, Justin when he gets oh, here. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to, when I interview him, I'm going to say, so I understand you've been fooled by a dove pan. Can yeah. <laughs> he won't remember, but then I'll give him the specifics and he'll remember. It seems like you're dealing with, any criticism you've gotten regarding these videos is sort of reminiscent to me of the criticism that like Henning got when he first came on the scene because people were like, that's not magic. And then Copperfield comes on the scene and people were like, that's not magic. Henning is magic. And then Blaine comes on the scene and they're like, that's not magic. Copperfield's magic. And you're dealing with a new medium and people are going, this isn't magic because the thing before is magic. I'm sure people point out like Blaine's special and say, that's the way you're supposed to do this. Yes, they do. I, I certainly wouldn't put myself nearly in the same category as any of these people in terms of the the good or just how how big they are mm-hmm. what what they've brought to magic but definitely in terms of hate of new mm-hmm. things yes i've i've experienced that for sure I, I think part of me is like really looking forward to the next medium that comes out and people going that's not how you do that rick lax is how you're supposed it, to be doing this it is starting to happen uh, a bit on uh snapchat now okay. or, and on uh, tiktok yeah where a lot of the uh We'll say especially TikTok. A lot of the TikTok users, they've now, it's so crazy mm-hmm. to think, but they've quote unquote grown up with my magic where from from the time they were born, they yeah. were familiar with it. 
And now that is seen for a lot of TikTok users as the baseline of magic, where you start a trick off by saying, I'm Eric, I'm mm-hmm. going to read your mind, think of a number between one and 10, mm-hmm. multiply it by five, whatever those steps are. Mm-hmm. And people just understand like, yeah, that's a magic trick. Now let's see variations on that. Mm-hmm. that it's, are you, and you're, so who, who are you working with these days in, in magic online? Because that seems to be where a lot of your work is. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm asking, I'm not telling. But are you working with a lot of other magicians to produce similar stuff? Yes. Uh, there, there was a lot of uh, techniques that I figured out four mm-hmm. or five years ago for, mm-hmm. uh, for performing magic online. Mm-hmm. And lately I've been working with other magicians who are uh, great performing mm-hmm. live shows, mm-hmm. but they're maybe a little newer to social media influencing. So I'm working mm-hmm. with that type of magician. And then there's other magicians where I work with very closely who are also social media influencers in their own mm-hmm. right. It sounds mm-hmm. like you've uh, talked to Jabrizi a lot. Yeah. So we've worked together for a couple of years, just sharing tricks and educating I, each other. I actively like Jabrizi, mm-hmm. um, which I know is going to catch me a bunch of flack, but I've, I've gone out and filmed with him and I can say there's something magic about him. He yeah. really does get big reactions like that. Yeah, I think anyone who's met him in person and filmed with him likes him. It's yeah. usually people who are uh, far away from him that don't know him. It's that, the keyboard uh, warrior sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's keyboard warriors yeah. where... I don't know what it is, but there's there's just something about him that's a little different from other magicians yeah. where people seem to not like him because of it. And I just I can't figure out what that is, that one thing about him that's just yeah. different from other magicians a little bit that predisposes yeah. people not to like him. What yeah. could that thing be? I, 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 I don't know. Um, I like what he does. I mean, yeah. he's, so... I, no, I, I do want to ask you, this is a little self-serving. I would like to be better at social media magic. And mm-hmm. I, I'm in the rare occurrence where I, what are some basic things that people can do to do better at social media magic when they're, when they're starting to think about this? I mean, I, you discussing the user, like creating magic for the Facebook user is one mm-hmm. of those, but is there any other sort of basic stuff? I, I don't want to get the, the full secret sauce from you because uh, I know that that's, it's different, but some just basic stuff that anyone who wants to improve their Instagram or, or Facebook. Yeah, there is one uh, basic thing to do that everyone can do it. And if you do this, you will be a success at social media magic or whatever type of social media you want to do, mm-hmm. which is uh, today, mm-hmm. uh, put up a post, something, mm-hmm. do something. If you can, do three posts today. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, do three posts, even if they're bad. Mm-hmm. Just just post three things each day. Mm-hmm. Then you'll have six data points if you do that. And all you have to do is look at which one is really resonating with your audience. Mm-hmm. And then on day three, perform three tricks or do three videos that have that one quality to them. Mm-hmm. Now, if this is going well, then those three videos on day three will perform a lot better than the ones on day one and two. Mm-hmm. If they don't on day three, then you go back to day one and two and you say, well, I thought this video was doing well because I was wearing a red shirt. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, maybe it's because this video had fire in it. So mm-hmm. on day four, you do three videos with fire in it mm-hmm. and that does better. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, uh, apparently the thing that is really resonating with mm-hmm. people when I do it is fire. Mm-hmm. So I'm the fire magician now. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like what you're saying is like, you know, 
just actually do something. Mm -hmm. It's sort of that same advice that like a lot of magicians, a lot of, a lot of sort of working pros give to amateurs who are like, how do I become like a a successful? You're just like, well, just do it. Just do more of it. Go out and perform whenever you can. So you're saying just actually make content and put it out there. Yes. And I'll say it's easier than if you want to be a live working performer, because Mm -hmm. when you put magic online, you get these so many data points Mm -hmm. so quickly it's it's so much easier than performing live and trying to judge how much something really resonated uh, with the audience. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of magicians delude themselves into believing that they're killing mm-hmm. when they're not killing and the audience is being polite. Yeah. This is whether they're performing for big groups or small groups. Mm-hmm. But on social media, you can track the performance of your magic very quickly uh, and very accurately mm-hmm. so you know it yeah how it's doing and then you can change accordingly it's uh is there is there any way that you can sort of apply some of this uh social media uh knowledge and the, and the, the data points you're getting to live performing is it or is the magic that people are doing on the internet too too different from the way the way we're performing live maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe it's a case-by-case scenario yeah, I, I don't know. It's mm. certainly a different genre of magic. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crossover where there's some magicians uh, who can be very good at both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't really tried to take the lessons I've learned from social media and apply them to live mm-hmm. performance. I've been so focused on uh, just the live aspect. Now, you guys can probably hear in the background yeah. that the doorbell's going off, which means it's time for a very important <laughs> special guest. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Reynold Alexander's High Rise. Nick Lacapo and I talk about how Nick met Reynold on the way to FISM and this fantastic rising card effect. Nick, there is a insanely cool rising card effect that we have called High Rise. It's really great. But I know that you know Reynold Alexander really well. Yeah, yeah, no, he's my first magic friend. I met him uh, on an airplane going to FISM in 2006. He just happened to be in the seat in front of me, but uh, mm-hmm. su- super awesome guy yeah. this and is, great this trick. Is a, oh, it's an amazing trick. Yeah, no, so rising card, yeah. I mean, we all know that that's, I mean. Yeah, there's eight ways to do it, and he's got the ninth. Sure, <laughs> sure, there's a lot of ways to do it. But, we, you know, what a powerful trick, yeah. right? And um, it's one, typically, you have to kind of carry something extra mm-hmm. to get it done. Um, still worth doing all the time, but yeah. not with high rise because this is... I love talking about tricks that there's no reason to not do it, yeah. right? And this this falls in that category because it's just a simple modification uh, with your card box, and you can do an awesome rising card effect. The cool thing about this is that it, it doesn't work the way you think no. it does. Because I, I remember when I first saw the demo for it, I was like, oh, well, it's this. And then you guys shared with me the instructional video because it came out like right after I started working here. And I was like, oh, man, that's cool. So I started modifying my own card boxes to do it. Yeah. No, it's super, the, the method is uh, very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just very smart. It makes a lot of sense. And once you learn it, you're like, well, obviously, there's no reason that I'm not going to do this trick forever because there's just no reason to not do it with your card card boxes so it's it, it is great and it's just always a reminder if you watch that video how good rising card is mm-hmm. right when you see the card right out of, rise yeah. out of the deck it's I just mean, what a great trick it, they're fun reactions that yeah. Ronald gets from it it's, yeah it's people people love the rising card do the rising card if, if, if anything me and eric talking to you right now just a reminder go perform the rising card because it's a good trick That was High Rise by Reynold Alexander, available at penguinmagic.com. 
Now, back to my conversation with Rick Lax and Justin Flom. Just the live <laughs> aspect. Now, you guys can probably hear in the background yeah. that the doorbell's going off, which means it's time for a very important <laughs> special guest. Uh, so for our podcast listeners, uh, Rick is uh, getting up to go to the door right now because we're, we're being joined by Justin Flom mid-podcast, which is exciting. <laughs> And maybe this guy would be more qualified uh, to answer the question than me. The question was, are there lessons you can take from social media and apply them to live performing? <laughs> take your time. It's not like there's a live audience no, here. No. Justin's strolling over yeah. so casually. Uh, what's up? Um, yeah, I guess the, uh, the lessons would be framing for camera because most live performances now use camera. So all the lessons I learned from social media, I now use live on stage. Most of your live performances are using cameras, but that's because you're at the top of the game. I, mm -hmm. I imagine most people listening to this are not doing shows for a thousand people where you have... Well, yeah, but surprisingly, like even our buddy Trig, uh, who's not doing shows for thousands of people, he's now incorporated camera into his show, uh, and he's only doing shows for a hundred people. Mm -hmm. That's because the strongest magic happens in the spectator's hands and you just can't see anything that's happening uh, with a spectator in their hands, if, even in an audience of 100. Um, uh, so this actually dovetails into something that I wanted to bring up with you, Rick, uh, was uh, you helped to create and produce Wizard Wars, uh, which started as like a YouTube thing and then got turned into a, like a full-on television show that featured really fantastic magicians. That you, it was a, it was interesting seeing people on there, like seeing Jason Latimer on television, seeing <coughs> Angela Finovitz, and seeing uh, 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 Shimshi. But here's a question for you: Did yeah. it look like an accident? Like, oh wow, this YouTube thing just became a TV show, or or did it feel like maybe there was a plan to that? Oh, so there, there this the plan for Wizard Wars started back when you were doing this. I guess that's answered the question there. Uh, yeah, it was all very planned. And so Ricky, Ricky Facebook messaged, I don't know, four or five of us. And he said, okay, we're going to make a TV show. Well, these people know who it is. So it, it would have been Justin. It mm -hmm. would have been Bizarro. Yeah. Kyle Marlette. Jimmy Fingers. And uh, there was a few. You messaged, I, th I think, Blake yeah, Void. Yeah, there were people I tried. Blake Void and Kaylin yeah. Morelli. Who said no. Right. Because uh, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. But... Yeah, the, the plan always was, okay, to do a TV show, we have to first prove the concept. And I was doing nothing but YouTube at the time. Mm -hmm. So my job was to film and edit. Mm -hmm. uh, so my sister and my wife came in and filmed this thing in a very dark apartment with very cheap dollar store items. But this, and then Wired covered it. Because it went to a couple hundred thousand people. Which That's at the, right. At the also time, a, that was a big deal. A random uh, interesting thing about the filming at the apartment. the um, There was a musicians there where two friends of friends came over to the mm -hmm. apartment. There was only eight people there. But since then, any success that Wizard Wars has has been dwarfed by the success of the musicians who were there. Because the musicians <laughs> were there in the apartment were Imagine Dragon. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy. Like the, two of the did, eight people. Did were, they like get to, is this like the first time Imagine Dragons came together? Or, no, no, okay, there's, no, no. There's no origin we're, story. No, we're going to start uh, this right now. Ask that question again. So you, you guys are behind creating Imagine Dragons? Yes, this was actually the first time they were brought together. I said, why don't you guys get together and try some tunes? I disavow all of this. So the, the band Imagine Dragons is hanging out in the background and you guys are filming a YouTube thing in a dark apartment with the intent of turning it into a television show. Right. Well, they were, we needed audience members, so we went through our friends list. This and, is the and, plot of a television show. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, a, a production company, then we got in touch with a production company and then we went through a year process of driving back and forth LA mm. and Vegas, just selling this TV show. And uh, there was maybe four times where we thought it was going to make it. And then, and, you know, the mm. same amount of times where it was dead in the dirt. But that's common we now see for yeah. TV shows where everything is definitely greenlit. It's yeah. absolutely happening. And now it's canceled. It's all done. But now we're picking it yeah. up again. Uh, during that time, one of the most fun things was uh, when we had auditions for The Wizards, which was like... There's the TV show uh, Iron Chef, where yeah. chefs come to compete against the Iron Chefs, the mm -hmm. best in their uh, craft, or the home team. And we had auditions <coughs> to be the Wizards, mm -hmm. uh, and we got to see a really special magic audition show. I won't uh, reveal the names because that they, this was a, a well, private it's a, thing. It's a bummer because you know they didn't make it. Yeah, uh, but names that you know. You know, showed up and, and did the thing, and, and but it's casting, so that doesn't mean that they were less magicians than the people who were casted. Because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it's just the way it goes. Well, we were casting a television show, yeah. so uh, much like America's Got Talent isn't a talent competition; it's a television show. Mm -hmm. Wizard Wars was a TV show, and we were making television. Um, you know, I've heard mm -hmm. some magicians kind of uh, complain about things that happen on Wizard Wars, like, "Oh, well, that's how can." How can Justin Flom be a wizard? He hasn't even, you know, consulted or created as much magic as like a, a Danny Garcia. Well, you know, we were casting a show and, and that's the way it was. And Danny Garcia wasn't available, but he was on the short list. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about the show is that you are bringing on some really fantastic magicians to create magic and who, who do create fantastic magic and then throwing sort of the creative process at them. I mean, the, the, what people are seeing oh, yeah. in this show is is it's the it's the the bedroom portion of creating your show that they never see on the other end. And Ricky will back this up, but it wasn't fake. Uh, we were. I mean, it was the mm. most stressful thing. I've I've got two kids now, mm -hmm. and I still say making Wizard Wars was harder uh, <laughs> than having two kids for sure. I just watched episode two this morning, and, yeah. and when you you go, the candy comes out, and you say, "I've got so many things with hard candy. I want this." Right. So now we'll play the bar game uh, where Justin will see if oh, we can not name a chance. the object. So candy, what goes with candy? Okay. Is, so if I did candy. So you name one, then I'll name one. Umbrella. Armoire. Uh, kimono. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So yeah. that would have been four so, items in round two. Episode um, two. Yeah. And we had our biggest argument over that episode, you and I. Mm -hmm. uh, because here's... The biggest <laughs> argument would have been over a swing set in the first series. Oh, yeah. That too. Yeah, we were, yeah, the the first six episodes, I was very frustrated uh, because I went in 
with the classic magician mentality mm-hmm. of, all right, let's just create these classic pieces of magic that we know work. That's what I do in my regular shows. I find mm-hmm. uh, bulletproof pieces of magic mm-hmm. and then shift them, modernize them, change the objects or something like that. And that's what we were doing in Wizard Wars. But the judges kind of had a different vision in mind and you mm-hmm. know they were choosing the winners. And uh, our judges really wanted to be fooled and they really wanted to see something they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So the wizards had to completely revamp in season two or season 1.5, depending on how you defend, define it, the next six episodes mm-hmm. where we said we had a strategy meeting and they said, all right, mm-hmm. we are now going to take the judges on. We're not going to worry about the home mm-hmm. audience as much as we're going to worry about the judges and fooling them and taking advantage mm-hmm. of them. So it became a, a sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that's kind of what Teller said. I, I'd say paradoxically, end. it became better for the home viewers at that point, even though you made the decision, I'm not going to worry about the home viewers. I'm just going to try to uh, impress the judges because of the way these reality competition shows work. Mm-hmm. So many of the cameras are on the judges and have to do with the interaction between the judges, the judges and the contestants. So if they look really amused and entertained, Mm -hmm. then you will perceive the magicians as being better. When we watch American Idol or AGT, Mm -hmm. we don't know how good stuff is until we see Simon Cowell's reaction and we know, oh, well, this is the greatest person who's ever auditioned. Yeah. Now, you you were talking about uh, this disagreement we have of performing classic magic tricks differently or performing new tricks, and then you brought up that you watched the Candy episode, Mm -hmm. Eric, uh, last night. Yeah. So there... The uh, the big tricks that both teams did with the armoire was pretty illustrative. Where the wizards, uh, it was you and Shimshi, right? Mm-hmm. You did a uh, shadow box yeah. with the armoire, which is a proven trick. You built it into this armoire. It looked great. Probably it, it really did look angle. good. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Eric and Mateus, uh, Eric Boss and Mateus Ramos mm-hmm. were the challengers this episode mm-hmm. uh, with. Them, I remember we we decided on what was like a broomstick levitation, but mm-hmm. with the armoire being the point of the person. So mm-hmm. we took an armoire, we balanced it sideways on an umbrella. Now this may be not as deceptive or as bulletproof mm-hmm. as the uh, the shadow uh, box. The method was mm-hmm. probably a little easier for people to figure out, but that was something that. No one's seen a broomstick levitation with and an armoire. And the, I think the judges acknowledged, like, oh, this right. is a different thing. But it started a, a phrase that we had uh, among the cast and crew, which was uh, Shimshi and I won in the edit. Mm-hmm. What that means is we lost that round mm-hmm. in the room, but in the edit and on Twitter and, and when people watching, they were like, how could Justin and Shimshi have lost? I mean, we had an amazing piece of mentalism. Mm-hmm. That uh, with where they freely selected a color on the that umbrella. was really cool. Yeah, I, I looked really at smart. I looked at that and went, oh man, yeah, Shimshi figuring out you know, and I can be spinning the umbrella yeah. while they're rolling the die. I mean, that's that belongs in anybody's show now. It, uh, it really should be. It's right. it's I, if I had seen that, it's one of those things that I looked at where I was like, oh god, I wish I thought of that. That right. is so clever. I'm, so so yeah, um, I really mm-hmm. liked what Eric Bus put into into that mm-hmm. material. Uh, and I'm happy he won. It, mm-hmm. it motivated us differently for the, the final episodes. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it kind of came to just a different point of theory from me 
and Penn and Teller. And I was mm-hmm. happy to play by their rules. I just didn't yeah. know I was playing by their rules in the first six. What's the you, production cycle like on a show like that? We can say you, but one yeah. thing when, that I think is interesting uh, that when you watch reality shows, if you haven't been a part of them, you might not realize this is a consideration. Mm-hmm. But Justin talked about uh, winning in the edit. Mm-hmm. That is an important thing that shows need to consider. And we, we had this a couple times where uh, the let's say the judges are leaning towards Team A, mm-hmm. but the people in the truck, uh, this is the director, <coughs> the producers, mm-hmm. they know that Team B looked better on the video, mm-hmm. and the show has to make sense to home viewers also. You can't mm-hmm. always have a team that doesn't look as good winning, or then the judges will seem like they're getting it wrong. Yeah. But really, they're having a different experience than the home viewers. So we have to, from all sides, try to package the show so mm-hmm. it always looks like the, the team, the right team uh, wins. And that was a difficult thing because early on, we didn't have monitors for Penn and Teller, mm-hmm. and we were doing something maybe spectacular. Uh, it didn't end up making the edit. Um, but I did a floating table in the audience. Oh, uh, wow. Where and it was really cool. We had mm-hmm. a vacuum cleaner with Billy Kidd, and it looked like the vacuum cleaner sucked up the table, mm-hmm. and it sucked up the tablecloth. <laughs> so the way that, if you remember the way Burglis would float a table, and he'd have the tablecloth on there, and everybody's wiggling their fingers, yeah. and the table's floating, and then he would whisk away the tablecloth proving mm-hmm. there couldn't be anything connected to it. We did that. It just didn't make the edit, mm-hmm. and, and the judges couldn't see it, and, and that that harmed how we were judged. But we ended up winning that round anyway mm-hmm. because of a very unique thing where um, I had this idea for any talent competition, which was move the trick into the judging. Mm-hmm. So do a false ending, make it look as though the trick is over, mm-hmm. and then the host goes, all right, judges, what do you think? And then interrupt the judging portion at some point and go, oh, you know what? I forgot. And then it's that it's that Darren Brown yeah. where he ends the show and then he goes, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I forgot. Look. And then does the final kicker. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, it was my favorite part of the whole series. Uh, and we fooled Penn and Teller with it where Penn didn't realize, but he was holding the climax to the trick yeah. uh, during the judging. And hearing you tell that story it seems like an obvious idea to perform magic for the judges. Of course, that's what everyone does on AGT. At the time, though, and even before the time, Justin, you were campaigning with AGT to let you perform close-up magic for the judges. This is is pre-Collins Key. Yeah. Before him. If if you watch the first couple seasons, that doesn't happen in AGT. And year after year, you would try to convince the viewers that Close-up magic can work on uh, AGT, and uh, yes, you were proven uh, uh, right with a lot of people. Oh, that's great! What do I what do I win for uh, being right? Nothing. No, you win. Okay, I think you get to appear on the Penguin Magic podcast. Oh, great! There you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy for uh, Collins, and then the next. So Collins kind of set up Matt Franco to win the following year, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm happy for them, and we're good friends with Matt. We spent Mm -hmm. the night with him the other night, Uh, but it was frustrating because I had pitched. Specifically, uh, you know, Matt did card artistry with Howie Mandel. He didn't even know this, and mm-hmm. it, it's okay. I pitched card artistry, the painting the card trick picture thing. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. with Howie Mandel's picture, and they said, "No, how are how is the audience going to see that?" And I said, "You have TV cameras, <laughs> right? Like, that's all that matters. <laughs> Forget the live audience. Yeah, we're making a television show." So I was thinking that way in Wizard Wars and. 
it was hit or miss on whether or not that worked out with the judges. Uh, and that was maybe the interesting thing about Wizard Wars is uh, you weren't just thinking about producers and directors. You really did have to please these two celebrity judges mm-hmm. um, because they had uh, opinions that mattered. Is that fair to say, Rick? Yeah, I, I think that's very fair to say. More more so, I think, on Wizard Wars, we talk about the show being real. It felt realer than almost any other reality show, reality competition show, because you know judges like Penn & Teller they can't be bought. If, if you tell Penn and Teller, hey, do this, these, we think these people should win, yeah. they're going to say, fuck you, we're going to go with who we want to win. We're Penn and <laughs> Teller. We know magic. We know reality TV. We're re- so it, it really was a very real mm-hmm. uh, judging, sometimes and there was to times, the chagrin yeah. of contestants, producers, yep. but it was the, the judging was who the judges wanted. That is, as a as producers of the show, that must be sort of a little terrifying. Uh, the, the, you you there's the there's portions yeah. of your show that are out of your control. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. How so? You just sort of let it roll. There was no yeah, there was no it, way to deal with that. You were just like, okay, it, this it is the way it's going to go. And uh, so, if you look at the two seasons of the show, the second season, Justin, you and the Wizards won almost everything. The first season, the Challengers won almost everything mm-hmm. which we remember we, we thought that was difficult we're like gosh the show has beat the wizards kind of and you keep awarding the mm-hmm. the challengers uh and then you can't call us master magicians if we lost every episode <laughs> yeah. it, it was so, uh it tough yeah there was another thing and sorry if we're we're talking too no much no no wizard I, wars but there is something that happens where the audience in these shows is um a lot of them are actors who are not working that day, so there's different services that will fill up uh, audiences, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, to bring it to something earlier, we mm-hmm. talked about uh, magicians not liking the presence of people who are in on it in order to uh, better enter- better entertain the viewers on mm-hmm. Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat. Yet this has gone on forever in TV, in all of TV. Yeah. The audiences... Uh, for this, there's just casting services yeah. that you. So the audience uh, and friends. Yeah. You know, yeah. some of them are tourists coming to LA, mm-hmm. but yeah. a lot of them, you know, are seat fillers. Yeah. 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 Like you met my fiance, uh, Ellie. Yeah. She worked as a, a seat filler on The Voice for many, for a long time. Were oh. they the back of the voice audience that mm-hmm. would just be tourists in the area, mm-hmm. but also. They would cast the first couple rows, mm-hmm. paid models and actors to look good and make good TV. Anyways, what we found was when they came in, they would invariably take the side of the challengers because they weren't working this day. They're frustrated. They might see that as not making it, right? And then you have a TV and show where there's four people who are the wizards sitting on thrones, and then there's sitting two on people, thrones. There's, like you have, and there's nothing more unlikable than yeah. <laughs> we were just pompous. Yeah. Sitting on thrones. Right. We're so, Americans. We don't like people sitting on thrones. We yeah. had that once. Yeah. We said, nope, we're, we're going to go off the throne. But anyways, they would... I personally thought the thrones were a great touch. Oh, they but, yeah, They I mean, were fun. Uh, and so the audience would invariably be on the side of the challengers because that was the one episode they were there for. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, fuck the man. We want the <coughs> challengers to win this. And then that energy would carry over it's I, I think it's no secret that there it, there are these seat fillers but it's just not sort of generally known uh when i filmed fool us my girlfriend came to see it and they 
put her in and sat her down. And then the guy next to her goes, so what agency are you with? She goes, yeah, she goes, actually, no, my, my boyfriend's here uh, to perform. And he was like, oh, and immediately stopped talking to her. Mm. Uh, but but that was the moment that she found out that yeah. the, the seat fillers happened. And a lot of, uh, we'll say shows like Fool Us, I'm not yeah. saying, uh, who knows with no. Fool Us, but a lot of magic shows like Fool Us, they'll first, uh, when people come in to watch magic, they'll tape the audience reacting. They'll say, mm. everyone applaud now. Now everyone act surprised. Everyone do this. Uh, and then when the performer performs on stage, they'll cut in these clips, these, mm-hmm. what I would say are just fake reactions because they were filmed in advance between the magic. And a lot of the magicians who have complained about me and friends of mine mm-hmm. doing videos on Facebook or other platforms where they've said the reactions are fake. Uh, these magicians have appeared on shows where they themselves, the people complaining, have gotten canned reactions from the audience that have been played after they've performed a trick. But when their segment airs, I don't hear them going on social media saying, I apologize to everyone when my segment aired. The producers have cut in clips of people being amazed. In reality, no one was that amazed. I want you to see it as is. So when they use that stuff to look good, they're okay with it. There was times on on Fool Us where uh, I've seen clips of me and Kyle and Misty reacting to a magic trick. And I know, wait, I wasn't there that shoot day. Like, mm-hmm. but we look See, good. I, yeah. I was saying, I don't know what they do on Fool Us. I was saying shows like Fool Us, but you're <laughs> saying you are here exposing Fool Us is using can reaction. Justin Flom not... is throwing up guards against Penn and Teller. Okay, fine. <laughs> let's, let's take it back a couple decades. I, you remember uh, World's Greatest Magic. I remember specifically there was a kid in a white button-up shirt and a tie, mm-hmm. and he reacted to, I think, like Greg Fruin or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the next year so they like waited a whole year <laughs> then they got jason Byrne up there mm-hmm. and they showed that kid reacting the same they're like well we got the footage like it works nobody's gonna notice and yeah you do notice if you're watching world's greatest magic back to back as i did growing up yeah it's uh it's shocking it's almost as though magic is based on lies yeah don't don't tell these keyboard warriors <laughs> but there is a deceptive component to magic so one of the things I really liked about Wizard Wars was uh, is the way the show is structured in, is that you sort of go, hey, this is the people, and then here are the objects, and then go back and do stuff. And so you show a little bit of them in the shop and the, and the, the workshop area, and then occasionally you throw it back out to, uh, like in the candy episode, Jason Latimer performs the water uh, effect where he, he's actually holding spheres of water that then pop. Yes. So it looks like, the whole, all of the the tricks are being created in about fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. I imagine that that is definitely not true. Yeah, I'm and so, but what is the production schedule like yeah. behind that show? I'll go through it. Quick uh, programming note: you're going to chat. You're going to do a separate interview with Justin when we're done chatting. Yes, so just so I know how much. Yeah, talk. okay. Yeah. Then I'll I'll take this one. Yeah, then. I'm going to uh, cup of coffee. Okay, yeah. so uh, you're right. If it feels like fifteen minutes, it's not actually fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. but it is uh, so much shorter than magic creation anywhere, anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And even shorter for the Wizards because we filmed everything in chunks. So Wizards would have to create magic uh, for every episode at once. And we were very careful to follow the game show laws. So both teams Which is a thing that I think our listeners need to be aware of, is that there are laws surrounding game shows that you do have to follow. Like in in Fool Us, for example, Penn and Teller have no idea who you are until you walk out. And with Wizard Wars, I'm sure that there are certain things that you had to do, like a set of rules that you had to follow 
to make sure that because you're giving away cash. Yeah, uh, I, I did the uh, Fula show mm-hmm. and I it, I was using the restroom mm-hmm. and then I learned when I was done with the restroom that apparently Penn and Teller were walking by. I learned this when I found myself locked in the restroom and people were pushing me in, not allowing me to leave. I got pushed into a restroom uh, because they were coming back. But yeah, so, so continue on with it. There's laws that you have to follow for those. So the wizards are creating things and they've got time limits. And- yeah, they have the exact same time limits as the... Uh, contestants where we told both about the secret objects Mm -hmm. at the uh, exact same time and the actual amount of time they had to create maybe it looked like 15 minutes it was a little longer Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a coffee machine in the background for those of you on the this is the most raw podcast I've ever taped this is great everything's happening Uh, so it was a very little amount of time. Usually mm-hmm. the time a magician might spend on creating a, a piece they put in the show it could be a year, mm-hmm. a decade, 30 years in some cases, mm-hmm. and, and this was much shorter, even though it was mm-hmm. longer than 15 minutes. And the main key that I want to bring up is that as one of the wizards, we were creating everything for the season mm-hmm. in what would take it. What, they gave the challengers you know, two routines to create. I already did it. I, that was the first point I made. Yeah, I know, but I'm but I mm-hmm. want to like really hammer that home. Okay, and we also had to open each episode in the first six uh, with a, a magic trick, and we were trying to do original things. Uh, some of them were cool, uh, most of them weren't. Uh, the floating light bulb sticks out as maybe the worst thing I've ever done on television. Uh, but the um, I wish you guys could find it uh, somehow. What episode was that in? Two or three. Yeah. Unfortunately, Wikipedia is a thing, so I can. I'm sure I can put a show oh, it's, note it's, in. It's terrible. <laughs> Luckily, it was in Shimshi's hands, so uh, <laughs> he looks worse than me. And what's so funny is we have Don Wayne, the now late Don Wayne, the mm-hmm. great Don Wayne, who's all things floating. Mm-hmm. And in the in the time frame that we had and the hookup, I've never seen the man more stressed just for a floating light bulb, and mm-hmm. and it just didn't. Uh, you know, but that was because what we were other, spread so uh, thin. dead magicians can we criticize on the podcast? <laughs> oh, uh, Wait, I mean, before I came here, was there other dead magicians criticized? I, I, I okay. feel like Harry Keller's had it coming for a long time. Yeah, well, he was asking for it. Yeah, we should go. Yeah, we should go after some. Well, uh, uh, Rick Lax, Justin Flum, I think we're just about out of time. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. I hope to have both of you back because this has been an enormous amount of fun. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Big thanks to Rick Lax and Justin Flom for the great conversation, and thanks to you for listening. Next week on the show is the second part of this interview because I will be talking to Justin Flom, and Rick Lax is going to jump back in. For those of you who follow me on Facebook and Instagram, you already know this, but I am super excited to let you know that I'll be competing at FISM North America. This is in May, and it's one of the first steps to qualifying to compete at FISM 2021, better known to most of you as the World Championships of Magic. I'm going to be talking more about this process as time goes on, and I'll be sure to give you all an update on what it's like to go to this legendary convention and competition. This is not the type of journey you do alone, and I am very fortunate to have some great friends in Magic who have helped me polish my competition act to be able to compete at this level. When I got serious about Magic in my late teens, I never thought I would even consider being a FISM competitor, and now to be on the precipice of it is something really special. Now, I have no illusions about winning, but just to participate at this level is a real honor, and I can't wait to share it with the other competitors. As always, we're a weekly podcast. Be sure to leave us a comment on the podcast app of your choice and share this episode on the social media that you most look at dogs on. 
If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you can train a dolphin to whistle your message to the tune of your favorite Kesha song. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform. Practice, practice, perform.